Um, both of you teach and work in this space, and uh, can you remind us that you're also human? And um, share a time or recurring seasons in your life, perhaps, where um, you've momentarily forgotten this vision for God's work in the work that you do, and uh, how you recalled the truth. I think for me, um, I've been battling Lyme disease for several years, and I'm doing a lot better now than I was some years ago, but uh, there was probably about a year in particular earlier on when, um, I mean, I just wasn't able to work very, very much, and um, it caused me to see what an idol I had um, for productivity. Um, and I remember uh, sort of laying in my bed and just feeling like, this is such a waste of time. <laughs> I'm, God, I could be doing so many great things for you if you would just heal me so I can get busy. Um, and uh, so the, you know, I was forgetting that, you know, it's God's work. God is to be trusted. Um, and, uh, and the thing that kind of got me back on track, I kind of laugh at myself because I had been given a present of like this little devotional book by a sweet lady that I know in Indiana. And in my prideful um, intellectual self, I remember sort of putting it in my suitcase and flying home and thinking to myself, yeah, right, like I'm gonna like use that devotional booklet. Like thinking like that's just like so lame, like only, only like immature baby Christians like use little devotional booklets, you know. I'm reading like N.T. Wright's theology, you know. <laughs> I'm like a serious Christian, and um, there I am laying in, laying in the bed, like unable to hardly read anything, and uh, I pick up the little, the little devotional booklet that I'd like totally, you know, dissed and made fun of, and uh, kind of randomly open it up, and the little devotional for the day was something like, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but it basically said something like, you know, God loves you just as much when you're laying down is when you're standing up. <laughs> it was like, wow, what a profound truth <laughs> in, this little devil, in this little devotional book. But hey, it was an actual truth, and it was good to remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for me, I hinted at it there towards the end of my talk. Um, I, it, it kind of, I don't know, there's not a distinct time, it seasons, where I am very prone, I'm, I'm hyper-responsible. And I used to think of that as an incredible strength, uh, but I also think about, about it as an incredible liability and vulnerability in my character and, and who I am. And like I said, it's, I think it's a mixture of things, like the sin, the wounds. I mean, that, I think that comes for me from being a firstborn and a lot of responsibility that was put on me at a young age. It comes from some dynamics in my family and some alcoholism in my family and being forced to grow up pretty quick. Um, it comes, I think, from a lot of my strengths, just leadership and, and all that, um, but also sin, real sin of, of pride. And so I, I can often slip as a, as a pastor, as a church planner, I can often slip into thinking, this is up to me. I've got to figure this out. I've, I've got to figure out how to do this. I've got to figure out how to solve this. I've got to solve the problem. And right, some of that instinct's good. Like a, a leader takes responsibility and, and all that, but not at the level at which I can often do that. And so I think one of the ways God's really sanctifying me, maturing me, growing me, freeing me, healing me, is uh, calling me to, I mean, I, I'm preaching, whatever I was doing today, preaching, teaching, I, I'm preaching to, my, to myself, um, 
so I think God is, is calling me to a deeper rest in him and a deeper awareness of how he is at work and how I can, how I can trust him. And I think how I get out of that, oftentimes it's these, these curveball situations that come out of nowhere that I can't, like the situation I mentioned with our church, I can't figure it out, I can't solve it, it's, it's, it's way too big. And it just brings me back to my knees and it brings me back to prayer and it brings me back to reality. So it's, it's wonderful to be aware of and thankful for situations that knock us off of our feet get us flat on our backs. Um, they re- get us right in the, in, the, in the best perspective again. Isn't that encouraging that you can hear really remarkable remarks from people who know a lot in this space and to hear them speak about the ways in which they also daily um, face struggle. Okay, so uh, one of the questions here. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom feeling like my education and skills are being wasted. Mm-hmm. If you're never getting back to work at the level I was, how should I think or rethink? Yeah, it's just, I hear that all the time, so hard, and, uh, you know, it's the constant, it's constantly preaching back to yourself that, you know, this work of raising your kids is so crucially important, you know, um, there's so much talk about, you know, wanting to be like the people that change the world, you know, and, uh, and in fact, I think moms are really at the center of changing the world because, you know, moms are, not that dads don't too, but moms are just so crucial in actually creating the next generation of little people who are either going to be forces for good or forces for not good, right? Um, But I also think that, um, you know, just for your own sanity, um, figuring out ways to to have opportunities to use those, to use the gifts that you feel like you have and that aren't being used a whole lot in the day-to-day tasks of, of child rearing. Um, I have a friend right now, um, you know, in her stage of life, she really doesn't have time to really volunteer or anything, but she and her husband have worked out for her to take this improv class. Mm. She's actually, she's really good and it's just, and she talks about how it's like generating so much life back into her family, just having that little outlet for her creativity and, um, and everything. I have another mom friend who, um, kids are a little bit older, and so now there is sort of a, this little tiny slice of, of time, um, and that individual is, is in fact um, doing some volunteer work, drawing upon some of the skills and gifts and knowledge that she had um, really from her from her education and then I've got another another mom friend who um, has real uh, creativity and leadership kinds of gifts and a real entrepreneurial spirit Um, and she's both applying that in her own raising of her children because she's sort of a part-time homeschooler um, so she's been able to figure out how to use some of those great gifts um, in the task of educating her kids. And then she also is using those same gifts by serving on the board of a ministry that is um, trying to help get women out of prostitution. So, yeah, I think preaching the truth to yourself about how vital and crucial and significant your work as a child rearer really is. And then also, like, figuring out in the tiny slices of time where are the things that you can what, what can you strategically do? You know, and saying no, like say no to all the stupid volunteer things that people ask you to do, 
right? Like you're busy enough, you know? You know, pick and choose and decide, you know, you know, pick a pick a pick a place for volunteering that actually gives you that wonderful sense of wow, like here's a part of me that is in a season that's a little dormant right now because of my daily responsibilities. But in this little slice, I get to go into that dormant place and let it come, come alive. Yeah, yeah I, I understand that question. My, my wife is a stay-at-home mom with our boys. She has been since our, our boys were born. And she feels some of that. She went to Georgetown University and majored in French uh, and uses absolutely none of that. Uh, so she can feel that, like, I'm not using my French degree. I'm, I'm, I'm raising these, these boys. Um, she speaks French to me sometimes, and I love it. And I tell her to speak to me more in French. <laughs> I have no idea what she's saying, but I say, so keep, keep saying it. Exactly. <laughs> keep saying it. Um, that's a rem- i got to remind her. It's been a while. Um, so I, I, I'd say you're, to whoever asked that question, understand that you're, how should you think, how should you rethink. Your work is so valuable. In our culture, it's like this in Silicon Valley, I'd assume it's similar in LA, says very little about the value of being a stay-at-home mom, mm-hmm. being a stay-at-home parent. Uh, so I hope you can really hear that here yeah. today. I, I try to say that um, to our church often because they're not gonna hear it anywhere else in Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was raised by a stay-at-home mom and that's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I was so formed and so shaped by my mom and her and her love for me and for my brother and how she discipled me and shaped me and led me in. Um, your impact is, is massive when you're doing that for your, your sons, your daughters. Um, my wife's impact on our boys is massive. They would not be who they are and who they are becoming without the presence and the prayer and the care and the nurture um, of my wife. So that's maybe the main thing I'd want you to hear is that your work is so valuable and, yeah. um, you know, we'll, Follow God's calling on your life, and wherever he's put you, he promises to resource you, and he'll, he'll care, for, care for you there. Um, as Amy said, find, find outlets. And know that things come in seasons, too. Like, my, our boys are now, um, what, sixth grader, fourth grader, second grader. So they're, they're now in school for six, seven hours a day. And my wife has time that she did not have when the boys were really little. And she's enjoying this new season where she also has some outlets and some side hustles and things that she's doing, and she's really yeah. enjoying that and feels like she is tapping into these other parts of who she is. So uh, sometimes our work comes in seasons, and, and the season you're in might not be forever. And um, the Bible says children are a heritage from the Lord. Um, children are a gift, right? It's easy for us to think our kids in these phases because they're so much worse, are a problem. Um, <laughs> they're such a gift. Uh, they're a gift, and um, try to enjoy the gift and Good question. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit. Uh, when should someone look for a new job rather than remain a committed member of their current job and seek renewal there? I have a friend that has a great line. He says, um, don't quit that crappy job. <laughs> because his, uh, his, his statement is that school is a, that, excuse me, that work is a school of spiritual formation. So remember that the crappy, the crappy job, it's hard. Um, what God may intend in terms of the integration of faith and work in that is not so much working um, through you um, in, in the work that you will do, but, but for that series of time working in you. Um, so that there's this character forming thing that he's doing in you in the midst of that, of that hard job. Um, 
so, you know, not being, not that you have to stay at a crappy job your whole life, right? But not being, you know, we're all impatient people. I'm like the world's most, um, you know, so like stick it out for six months and ask the Lord to really show you what is it that you're, how are you shaping me? How do you want to shape me because of these hard circumstances in this, in this job? Um, I think that, um, you know, when there are opportunities, uh, particularly when you're in younger in your career, um, you know, if there's an opportunity to take a new job that will give you, um, that's, that's sort of more directly related to the things that you feel the most passionate about, um, that's, that would provide a greater scope of opportunity for you to use the particular gifts and talents that you have, or uh, when the new job, um, oh, senior moment, sorry, Ooh, where'd it go? Uh, oh, when the new job will um, give you definite opportunity for the, the honing, the further development of your craft and, and skill. Um, so now think about all the things I didn't say, like take the new job that gets more money. I didn't say that. Um, you know, take the new job that's like closer to your house. I didn't say that. Um, not that more money or an easier commute are bad things. Those are usually good things. Um, but those would be some of the criteria that I would say uh, to keep in mind. Yeah. I agree with all that. I think that's, that's right on. Um, I guess maybe the only thing I'd add is uh, when you feel like your work in a certain place is done, you know, um, praying to the Lord having a, and, and doing, making these decisions in community, you're, you're, you're prayerful about this, and you're talking with your, your church community, your, your close friends um, who can call out the wrong motives and stuff that yeah. work in you. But maybe just when there's a sense that, okay, my work here is done, I always tell people, similar to what Amy said, like, stay longer than you think, you know? Stay, stay longer than you think. Uh, you're going to learn. You're going to grow under these circumstances that feel uni unideal for you. Mm -hmm. um, but, but then when you feel like, okay, I think my work here is done, mm -hmm. um, now, I, I'm saying this as a guy where I, my current job, I desire to be in it till I die. God could change that, but that, that's, my, that's my plan. I think we, our culture today is very much move on to the yes, things. Totally. Silicon Valley is totally. have this job for two years or, yeah. or, or your stock vests after four years, move up, go to the next corporation, keep climbing that. That's one way to build your career. But I look at a guy in my church that has been in this same company now for 34 years. And I see the depth of his impact there and the depth in how he's been shaped there. And I, I think there's something to that. Yeah. And more stability in our age of transience and going and going. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Oh, that's such gold. I, I think about Jacob in the desert, right? And then he wrestles and he says, don't let me go until you bless me. And, <laughs> and to stay longer than, than you want. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that sanctification, as you speak of, that, yeah. that internal renewal, the way in which the Lord wants to redeem and sanctify you through yeah. staying a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, next question. Um, is there a danger in referring to work as calling? It seems like, oh no, where to go? It seems like this can cause struggles for those who don't feel specifically called to their current work? Well, yeah, I would just say wherever you are is where you're called. Mm. You know, that's, that's where the master's put you. So I know you, you might not feel like, I, I don't I feel the strong calling of the Lord there. Well, it's where you are. You know, you're, you're there. You use for whatever reasons. You, that's the situation you find yourself in. 
uh, what does it look like for you to be faithful and obedient to God there? And back to the last question, I, I think we're not ready for whatever is next or a fresh sense of calling until we have been faithful and obedient mm -hmm. where we already are, mm -hmm. until we have learned what we were meant to learn where we already are, um, until we have stewarded what God's put us there to do well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm pretty high on the word calling, um, and largely because um, understanding work is calling. The, the word calling uh, immediately draws our attention to the caller. So um, it's that whole master-servant relationship thing that Justin's been talking about. So I, uh, maybe, maybe there's some danger, but I'm pretty high on the calling. I think Eddie Crouch's work when he talks about three callings, you know that well, um, the, the, the idea that like we're called to bear the image of God and restore the image of God, and that our work is part of that contingent calling. It's right. the place where we do those two things, right. which I think is consonant with yeah. what the two of you sh have shared today. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, how can I be countercultural when I work in a toxic work environment? It's draining, and there are no fellow Christians with very little fruit or encouragement, and I think this also speaks to the stay-at-home mom. Uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a Hi, toxic environment. You. <laughs> <laughs> Very little fellow. Stop throwing up yeah. all these toxins on me. <laughs> Without right. fellow Christians. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, that's maybe that's the best opportunity, the best place to be countercultural. I mean, no fellow Christians, toxic. Well, there's your opportunity to be countercultural. Um, right there, clearly what that question assumes, you, you need support. So support from others who know you, love you, and are in your corner. You can't do that alone. So they might not, and you can pray, right, that God would bring some of these believers into your work environment. But if he doesn't, you've got church family and friends to support you. Um, but if, God, if God's put you there, you go there knowing that God's put you there and that he's with you. Um, and it sounds like a, a great opportunity to deepen and enrich your prayer life and to get creative. Yeah, and I think um, what a powerful witness. If you're in a highly competitive sort of dog-eat-dog -dog, um, work culture and you become known as the person who actually shares credit for the things that get done, who um, makes opportunities for the people, quote-unquote, below you, to get to do things that otherwise they maybe wouldn't get to do. Yeah. I mean, you become you become the object of what a friend of mine calls the, the doggy head tilt. I used to have a Labrador and, you know, Labradors are one of, they, they do this whole little, what? This little doggy head tilt. If you, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a talk, if you're in an environment of competition and you're a person of generosity, everybody does the doggy head, head tilt. If you're in a, an environment of criticism and every you know everybody's taking everybody down and you're the person that actually speaks words of encouragement and edification like you become the object of the doggy head tilt um, you know I think you have to be careful because that environment can you know get you down too and then you start taking all that junk from work and you you come home and now you're taking it out on your kids and your spouse and everything else. So you do want to be wise, um, but boy, you can really have a pretty incredible, pretty incredible witness um, by being different, um, you know, and there's not 
Christian's right there with you, well, make sure you line up five of your friends who you're going to ask to pray for you regularly and you're on the phone with them at lunch and you're texting them throughout the day and you're constantly asking people to be praying for you. Um, but you have an incredible opportunity. You know, figure out what, what, is the, what are the key idolatries that are making that work so toxic and then what, what is your, how do you act in, in complete opposition to that? Yeah. <laughs> because you will then be the person who is the object of the doggy head tilt. Yeah. I know fruit and encouragement so far. Fruit takes time. And uh, maybe, maybe your prayer request in April for, to the Lord and to your friends is pray that God would uh, show me some fruit this month. Pray that there'd be some encouragement that come my way this month. And that would give me further fuel to glorify God here and be faithful here. God loves to answer prayers like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Amen. i got a question about money. Okay, so money, I often money, feel money. guilty about seeking higher paying opportunities. How should we think about money as we pursue our purpose? I'm all about money and um, <laughs> wish that I was getting paid a lot more money for this time in particular. <laughs> Hear that, Steve? <laughs> So all you donors that will be talking together at lunchtime, like let's 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 get some more money here. Um, I don't think you need to feel too guilty about it, um, as long as that's not the driving motivation. Remember that previous question, the criteria that I listed for why you would switch to a different job. Money wasn't even in the equation. Um, so I don't think you need to feel guilty about seeking higher-paying opportunities as long as seeking higher paying opportunities isn't sort of like your central driving thing and you're not paying attention to where is the master calling you and what are the, you know, is this an environment where your gifts will be able to really flourish and is this the place where you're going to really be able to do the most good and add the most value. Um, but um, I, believe that, I believe that all money is God's money. Um, and I believe that it's a really fun thing to get to be generous with God's money. Um, and there's, a, there's an incredible, for, for me, there's an incredible joy that comes um, in, in giving. Um, and as a result of that, I delight when I get an opportunity to do a project and you know they're gonna pay me more than I would normally get, right? You know, I'm like, how awesome is that? Like, where do I get to give that? Where do I get to give that away? Um, so, um, yeah. I mean, again, as long as money is not becoming the thing that's wrecking your faithfulness in, um, you know, as we pr- pursue our purpose. So, right. So, if you can get paid more money to do your purpose, go for it. <laughs> If you if you get taken if you're drifting away from your you know your calling and your purpose just because there's a lot more money over here well then that's not so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of those questions that's better answered over coffee, 45 minutes, knowing where it's coming from and the motives driving it. But uh, if those motives are in a, in a decent place, yeah. I mean, you can greatly glorify God by making more making more money. Um, you know, so so if you you want an opportunity, you can make more money, and you can better steward those resources. It's great, and it's great to. I mean, we're always thinking about giving money. Um, it's also great to think about growing money. You know, I, I'm really thank, I'm really thankful in my church 
for people that are stewarding their resources well, they're growing it. Um, I think about growing money all the time. I, I love investing. I'm into investing and um, I study the stock market and, and how can I grow the money that I have. Therefore, I could steward it better as it, as it grows. So, um, yeah, let's give. Let's also think about growing yeah. uh, and how we can use that for, for giving. Um, and that being said, I, uh, I watched a couple movies over the last couple weeks, and it was interesting, like these three movies I saw in the last two weeks, all of them, the downfall of the main character was the love of money, mm. uh, which, is, which is interesting, right? Obviously, the Bible tells us that uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. So if it's the love of money, the main motive, uh, like Amy was saying, that's, that's dangerous. Um, but I, th- I don't think you should feel guilty about it. There's this cool opportunity in front of me, and it uses who I am as my purpose, and I can make more money, and, I, and it could be stewardship. Think about the parable of the talents and the stewardship and the return, the investment of those resources, of those talents. Uh, that gave, gave glory to God. Okay, so I know we're one question away from lunch, so here's your last question. Uh, how can we truly flesh out whether we're working for God, especially since we innately seek our own self-glorification given our human nature? <laughs> Really light. Last question. <laughs> I think it's highly contextualized, um, you know, very much kind of according to the, the work that you're doing. Um, from my own life, um, part of my work is this, this whole public speaking thing, um, which is dangerous um, given that I'm an egomaniac like the rest of you. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, who doesn't want to be like the object of, oh, gosh, your talk was so fabulous. You know, um, for me, um, one of the things I try to do when I'm sitting down to write a talk is I'm trying to pray and say, Lord, um, show me what you want me to say and show me um, what, the, what the needs of the audience most are. Like, who's coming to this thing and what is it that I could say to them? And for me, a good diagnostic question has been um, when I'm working on something and I'm feeling the Holy Spirit's prompting to sort of drop something that I was going to say, you know, like my talk now has four points or whatever, and this little voice is sort of coming in and saying, you know, point number two, like you don't really need that. And when my reaction is like, yeah, but I mean, point number two, talk about brilliance. I mean, like, everyone is going to be like, can you imagine, like, how is she so smart with point number two? And like, when it's all about me, when it's all about, but God, if I drop point number two, they won't know how smart I am. You know, it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, in my unique context, the, 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 that's how the spirit works in me is to sort of, it, he shows me, yeah, you want to say that because you want everyone to think you're funny and smart and whatever, but really what this audience needs is they only need two of those points and you need to take the time to go deep in each of them because that's what's going to best serve them. So for me, it's just this constant sort of prayer dialogue because um, I know that I'm, I'm like all about, I mean, the work that I'm doing on the book right now I mean, I was really, I think I was, I was stuck a couple of months ago, and I, there's a lot of different reasons why I was stuck, but one of the reasons I was stuck was that um, I was having this hard time of like, yes, but what am, what am I uniquely going to say that's different from everybody else, you know? And like, most of the time, you don't, like, there's very few books that are like the brand new, unique idea that no one's ever thought about, honestly. 
Um, and so that's just an idol that I just have to be like, you know what, I just need to write the book that God wants me to write. And if it kind of sounds like some other books that are already out there, well, that, uh, you know, he's in charge, you know. Um, so that's, that's a little couple of anecdotes about kind of how that works out for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, such an important question. Um, we're, we're all mixed bags, and we always will be. We'll, we'll, we'll die that way. So we, we never completely flush it out. Um, for me, prayer is a huge gauge for me. So talking about that hyper-responsibility, sin, struggle, wound in me, um, my indicator that I'm kind of maturing, sanctifying in the right direction there is my prayer life. Um, I pray less when I'm more like, I got to figure this out. Mm. I pray more when I'm more awake to um, who, how big God is and how yeah. small I am and how much I need him. So yeah. for me, prayer is a big gauge of, of if I'm tracking well there. Uh, and then second, friendship. Just having mm -hmm. my wife, good friends, people uh, in my life who know me and who love me and who can see things that I don't really see sometimes, who can come to me and say, hey, Justin, I think that's kind of become more about you rather than God. And I'm like, normally my reaction is to be terribly defensive. I'm like, I don't, you don't know what you're talking about and all that. But um, then eventually, oh, no, they're listening to that. Oh, wait, they're, they're right. So prayer and friendship really 